Hey, I'm Zanzi, and welcome to episode 339 of Farmers Inside Track, the country's most downloaded farmers podcast. I'm your host, Donamdu. Today, we explore part two of understanding the transformative world of genetic modification in crop production. This time around, we welcome Leonard Oberholzer, Bayer Crop Science Corn Go to Market Lead for Africa. We'll unpack the environmental implications of genetic modification, strategies to mitigate negative impacts on ecosystems, the crucial roles of research institutions and biotechnology companies in supporting farmers, and recommendations for monitoring the performance of genetically modified crops in specific farming context. Thank you so much for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. It is an absolute pleasure to have you with us for you to share your expertise and knowledge on all things genetic modification and crop traits. I was just mentioning to you that I've had a great conversation with your colleague Godwin Lemgo in Kenya, and now we have you with your side of things. So thank you so much and welcome. Thank you very much, Dawn. It's a great privilege to be part of this. Now, just to start out, I always love to get to know my guest a little bit more before I get into the topic and what we'll be talking about. Tell us about you, where you grew up, your background, also just your journey within the agricultural sector. I grew up on a maize farm in the Botaville area where my dad was a farmer. And then after I went to study agriculture at the University of the Free State, where also where I also did my aftergraduate studies and so, and so on. And then my career started off at the ARC, the Agricultural Research Council. Then I worked for a horticultural company at some stage, and then I moved into the seed business around about in 97, where I worked for a, a company called Sensaku, and then Monsanto basically at that stage bought two of the seed companies within South Africa, and that's how I actually started working for Monsanto. Yeah, I've been working for, I acquired Monsanto in 2018, and from then on, I working full-time for Bayer. During my career, I was always a farmer, customer-facing, working in the field as an agronomist for a long time, and then also leading the agronomy team for some time within Africa and South Africa. And we did a lot of work from that time already on biotechnology and how we can actually add value to our farmers within South Africa. I was pretty much part of the development of a lot of the current traits that's commercially available within different crops in South Africa. It's more of a a commercial background, I would say. Some research as well, but I mean not necessarily in the development of the traits itself, but more in the deregulation and the application of how we actually use the traits within South Africa. About two years ago, I moved from the market development which is more the agronomy side of things. I am moved into a marketing position where I'm currently looking at the corn or the maize strategy for Africa and how we actually launched different technologies over the whole of Africa. No, that's absolutely amazing. I think you have a very broad perspective on this topic and just seeing it, how it's obviously developed over the years. And I'm looking forward to kind of unpack more of those insights with you and also just, you know, getting all of the nitty gritties about specifically the commercial sector, to our listeners. I recently had a great chat with your colleague, as I'd mentioned, and he'd really given us, you know, kind of an overview, you know, the promising and innovative genetic modification techniques, talking more around, you know, consumers and sort of understanding what this kind of technology does and methods does for the sector generally. 
And so from you today, I'm hoping to kind of get a broader perspective and also kind of getting to know more of the research and the companies involved and that play a key role in these kind of advancing genetic modification techniques. So if we can, just from your perspective, again, recap on our previous conversation with Godwin and also just to get your side of what are the specific genetic traits that have been significant or that you've seen at, at least the significant advancements in recent years, such as space resistance, drought tolerance, and improved nutritional content? I'll basically focus more on South Africa's This is where we actually have the largest impact of biotechnology on the continent. And we're basically looking at three different crops, just maybe to start off there. So we have cotton, that we have some biotech traits in, and and then maize and soybean as well. We started off with cotton in 1998. It was the first cotton varieties were uh, were released in in South Africa. And that, that made a major difference, especially on the on the insect control, pest control side. It had had a huge impact, but then we basically followed it up. In 2000, we launched the first herbicide-tolerant traits as well. And in 2000, we launched the herbicide-tolerance traits on maize. So what we're looking at in South Africa is basically two major challenges for farmers that we are addressing with biotech in crops. And the one is, is, is insect control or pest control. This is very, very specific so we have trade-specific control on the three crops that I've mentioned. But then we also have like the herbicide tolerance piece, what we in Bayer call the Roundup Ready piece, where you can actually spray Roundup over these crops and then it will control all the weeds, but it will not harm your crop at all, which made a major difference all over. So it's basically the three crops with the two different types of technologies. And we've also been able to combine these technologies within one plant, you can have a glyphosate-tolerant plant combined with an insect resistance as well. So that can be in one plant. There's always questions around, you know, the environmental implications of genetic modification in crop traits. Can you maybe talk more on this, including some of the strategies to minimize the potential negative impacts on ecosystems and biodiversity? To go back a little bit, to when we did the research. So part of the research that we've done was really to also look, especially on the what we call the BT side or where we actually control insects. We also did a lot of research on what we called non-target pests or non-target organisms to actually see if this trait within the plant actually only controls what we wanted to control or does it also have an impact on some other insects as well. I think that's the great thing about BT or what we call the Yulkar 2 technology is that it's really species specific. So it, it really controls the target pest or the target insect and it does not harm any of the other beneficial insects that's out there at all. So that's really wonderful. I remember what we've done is, is spraying with insecticides strips next to the, the, the sites where we actually had the BT technology and counting how many of those insects, beneficial insects like bees and ladybirds and those things got, got actually was controlled by the insecticide, but it was not controlled by the biotechnology side. That's a major benefit of using this biotechnology. 
So that side, on the insect side, no harmful impact at all to the environment out there. And maybe that, just to substantiate that is we've been using 23 years and without any report of damage or any harm to any target organism or non-target insect. And as I understand it, there's obviously a lot of regulation around it. So the likelihood of that happening is also kind of a, a much smaller scale or very minute. So I think I've come to understand that just by doing a lot of questioning and, and research on it for our farming audience. But where else can one really kind of get this kind of information about all of these questions that one has and what role do research institutions and biotechnology companies play in kind of advancing these genetic modification techniques and providing a kind of support and resources to commercial farmers seeking to adopt these methods? What does one actually do? Where does one go? How does one start realistically? From a buyer perspective, the best way to get the correct information is to contact your closest buyer representative or you can even go to our, our website, there's a lot of contacts there that you can contact as well. There's a lot of publicity on the web around this. If you really want to get the correct facts, it's good to reach out to, to us probably first. We do cooperate a lot with universities. With some of the universities, we are still running biotechnology work. They are doing some of these non-target organism trials still for us at the moment. We've been running uh, you know, insect resistance trials, as well as weed resistance uh, research we are doing with the universities and with other partners out there as well. It is also part of the regulations is that we have to, on an annual basis, also report if we are not picking up anything regarding resistance, regarding, you know, you know the impact on target organisms. It's all out there, I think, but if you want to if you want to get more acquainted with the research, with what we are doing, it's definitely the best to contact your closest buyer representative on the, you know, later on the exact details. If people are really interested in GMOs and all the technologies around it, there's a very, very good website called gmoanswers.com that will give you a lot of impartial information on, you know, and facts around GMOs. Then secondly, when you reach out to CropLife South Africa, CropLife SA, you will also find a lot of very good information from their websites and from the company as well. Absolutely great. I, I know even at Food from Zanzi and Farmers Inside Track, we've done a lot of great work with CropLife SA as well. So 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 thanks so much, Plow, again, for giving those resources and avenues for farmers to tap into. Now, my next question is just around, you know, recommendations that you have for newly commercialized farmers regarding the monitoring and evaluating the performance of genetically modified crops in their specific farming context. Is there like a standard across the board? Um, do you have to work with a representative? What is the kind of how-to guide, if you can call it as such, when it comes to this for newly commercialized producers in South Africa? Our team out in the field is fully equipped to be able to to answer all you know all customer questions and queries around biotechnology. We've, we we have a lot of experience on the do's and don'ts you know of the different crops and so on. When we talk about our product stewardship, this is really really important. And with all of these 
traits or biotechnology traits that we are talking about, there for, for sure are certain rules and regulations that, that has to be adhered to all, all, all the times. So, so it, when you want to start working with this, it is really important. If I maybe can give an, an example on the, on the insect part. So all of this is about the longevity of the trait. So how long we can actually protect the trait to be able to add to our farmers out there. Of course, you can destroy a trait. If you're not following the rules and so forth, you can really destroy the trait over a period of So there are definite rules and regulations when you work with these traits. Maybe as an example, on the BT side or the insect control side, Farmers always have to plant a non-BT strip, and there's a lot of rules and regulations. I'm not going to go into the detail, but what we call a refuge area, it should be planted next to the GMO or the BT area. And the reason for that is for the moths to be able to crossbreed and to still enforce that, that the offspring of the next generation of larvae that we will get will still be controlled by the BT genes. There's a lot of these technical matters that we can discuss and then our local team on the ground will supply anyone with when you start with this. But it is quite practical to do. But like with all products we have, the stewardship part of it, looking at the responsible use of our products as this is also products of ours, it's really important. And farmers also have then to follow the rules when they are using this GMO technologies. I think that's an aspect that can never be overlooked. I would like to get into more of that. Maybe we can even have a separate conversation on this podcast or on our weekly information sessions for farmers on Gather to Grow. But I think that's definitely an aspect that can never, ever be overlooked. So thanks so much just for highlighting that as well, Leonard. As we wrap up the conversation, I really want to kind of give a, just another overview or broader perspective on the longer term strategies and practices that commercial farmers should employ when incorporating genetically modified crops into their crop rotation and pest management approaches. What is that kind of plan long-term in terms of, you know, practicing or this pursuit of sustainable and responsible agriculture? Once you work with any agricultural remedy, if it's a pesticide, a fungicide, if it's a biotechnology product, it's always good to have resistance strategies in place. If it is weed resistance management, if it is insect resistance management, but there are definite strategies that you should have in place on your farm to be able to farm sustainable over a long period. Around this discussion, for me, it's one of, one of the more important things to, to remember. It's always good not to do the same thing all the time, especially when you look at pest control, you know, with fungicides, pesticides, and even herbicides. It's really important to have a weed resistance management strategy in place. When you are working with glyphosate-tolerant crops, for instance, I will take maize as an example, you cannot spray Roundup after Roundup after Roundup forever into eternity on those fields. You're going to have to switch around with some other active, some other herbicide and so forth as well. So there's also a lot of planning whenever you plan to work with GMO crops, get the right knowledge, get the experts in there to really help you so that you don't breed for resistance over time on your own farm. And that can really impact your sustainability on your farm. Thank you so much again for your time, Leonard. I think it was really great to chat to you and get some additional insights into this topic. What is your final message that you'd like to share to South African farmers just in terms of 
the approach to this, where they should be thinking around it and how it can really help them to, you know, advance their farming enterprises. We've really been using, you know, biotechnology in South Africa for, you know, for 20 years plus now. It's been proven as very safe. I think the stewardship part for me, I want to highlight again, please adhere to the stewardship rules and regulations out there. It will protect the traits, but it will also protect your farm. Just one last thing on, on the safety of it. I think it's been proven if we started in 98, we are on 25 years of usage. If, if we start that the cotton piece in the beginning as part of it. And I just think the safety of biotech in South Africa has been proven over and over. And I had a look yesterday at some figures that, you know, in the first 20 years, over the value that biotechnology brought to our farmers in South Africa was 2.5 US dollars. So it's a lot of value. And I think it's been proven. If you're not using biotechnology yet, please look at it. It will add value to your farm. It will save you a lot of time. I also saw this morning in some of the media that on smallholder farming, when you look at herbicide tolerance crops, the smallholder farmers are saving between 10 and 12 days per year, where they actually in the past had to hand wheat the weeds in the field, and now they're using glyphosate on the Roundup Ready crops. So there's a lot of other intangibles coming in as well. A lot of value, not always monetary, but even, you know, making it more comfortable for you in the farm. Thank you so much once again for joining us here on Farmers Inside Track. Leonard Oberholzer, Bayer Crop Science Corn to Go Market Lead for Africa. The work you're doing is so great. You can, of course, read more on this topic by visiting www.foodformzanzi.co.za. And that's a wrap from me, Do Numdu, our technical producer, Megan van der Fendt, and the rest of the hashtag Team Food from Zanzi. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now. Life in South Africa can be a lot. I mean, scroll through Twitter for a minute and tell me I'm wrong. Thank God for South Africans though, right? We're inspiring, and even on the bad days, we fight back with a smile. That's why I love Food Form Zanzi so much. They're not ashamed to celebrate the ordinary unsung heroes who work every day to put food on our nation's tables. Go to foodformzanzi.co.za and never miss an inspiring story.